The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome to the program, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour. The IMF flags worries about a bigger-than-expected slowdown in China ahead of this morning's trade data. But UBS chairman Axel Weber tells CNBC he is optimistic. stimulus in China is going to work out. China is recovering. The trade dispute with China is looks like it will be resolved, at least on the trade side, soon. Mm. So some of the dark clouds over the Chinese economy are disappearing. Meanwhile, French Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire telling the company the U.S. and the EU must work out their trade spat as President Trump threatens tariffs on $11 billion worth of European goods. We should do our utmost efforts to avoid a trade war. Tit-for-tat sanctions would lead nowhere and would weaken the growth both in the U.S. and uh, within the EU. Uber files for its IPO as the ride-hailing giant reveals revenue has plateaued and warns it may never turn a profit. Two top executives of collapsed Dubai private equity firm Abraj are arrested on US charges of defrauding investors, including the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation. So let's focus on this IMF warning. The organization says a larger than expected slowdown in China is among the largest risks to the global growth story. The fund's deputy managing director says that while China's outlook is uncertain, Beijing does have the tools needed to support growth. Other Chinese risk areas include the potential for a sudden tightening of market conditions if U.S. trade talks collapse. Meanwhile, China will release its latest trade data at 0830 CET. The question markets are having to juggle with at this point, it seems to me, is just how bad will these numbers be? Because the deterioration that we've seen since the beginning of the year has increasingly raised concerns that China will go from being a surplus nation to a deficit nation, even as the two countries are negotiating over an adjustment in trade terms. So I think the IMF's warning at this point is very prescient, obviously, as to current economic conditions. But we may be in that bizarre situation where the argument for negotiating a shift in trading terms is almost irrelevant because uh, America will move into surplus with China. Yeah, I thought we got the, the numbers out on the weekend. It's not usual, is it, to have them on a Friday. So I wonder whether they look particularly good or particularly bad, and I would be more inclined to say particularly good to try and get the news flow out there. And the expectations for March, according to the Reuters poll, is that they will rebound from a 20.8% fall in February. So fairly huge double-digit uh, decline previous month. Where do you go from there? Possibly up. So let's see what that stimulus has done to the Chinese numbers. But the, I mean, the arithmetic around the uh, base number is enormous. I mean, 5.7 billion is what's penciled in this time. 
if you looked at the comparator a year ago, we were in the realm of you know nearly 20 billion. Mm. So it's extraordinary how quickly these numbers are shifting. Let's get out to Emily Tan, uh, who joins us now from Hong Kong. Emily, we're talking about just the the timing and the nature of these numbers. Any clues as to whether we think that indicates it'll be a better or a worse number? Well, you know what? The expectation is for the number to have improved because of the export number for the month of February uh, was uh, quite a shocker. It was a big plunge of more than 20 percent. Uh, some say that it might have something to do with the, the fact of the trade war, the trade dispute going on between uh, China and U.S. Uh, also, maybe a little bit to do with the seasonality of the Chinese New Year as well, because it did fall in February this year. It was in January last year. Uh, so the number is, uh, was 20.7 percent. That was the decline that we had in the previous month. And that was the largest decline since February 2016, a three-year low. Uh, we are expecting a big bounce up for the month of March for the figure to come in at up 7.3%. Now, imports, uh, we, we registered a 5.2% decline in the month of February. We are still expecting contraction, uh, but that to have narrowed to 1.3% for the month of March. Now, this would mean four straight months of contraction. Then it brings us to the surplus, which was a surprising, very small or relatively small $4 billion. That was the smallest in 11 months, and that's expected to have widened to more than $7 billion for the month of March. Uh, all important is uh, the trade deficit with the United States. This is something that uh, President Donald Trump has been uh, trying to narrow, arguing that the economic growth suffers when a country has a trade deficit and has basically said that U.S. is being ripped off by China with the large deficit that does exist. Uh, the surplus with the United States uh, in February stood at 4 $14.7 billion. China is the largest export market to the United States. Uh, so we will get uh, usually a breakdown of that particular market as well when all of this data does come through. Uh, the expectation is the state council is going to be holding a press conference 2.30 p.m. Hong Kong time. Uh, that's at about an hour and a half from now. We should get the monthly number as well as the quarterly figure, and that should give us a better picture uh, with some of that seasonality taken out. You're looking at uh, some of the markets and the reaction ahead of the earnings release, or I should say the data release. Uh, and today the market has been a little bit muted, uh, some sideways trading, but uh, largely negative. Uh, the markets are just returning from the lunch break. The Hang Seng Index down three-tenths of one percent, uh, continuing to retreat from the 10-month high. Uh, we surrendered that 30,000 level that we managed to achieve earlier this week, 29,751. Uh, Shanghai also on the back foot by about a dozen points. The Shenzhen Composite also weaker by half a percent at 1,732. Uh, so the markets are traded weaker as we wait for this latest slew of data to come out from China. Back to you guys. Emily, thank you very much. Elsewhere, let's take a look at uh, what uh, the international response has been to some of the recent growth fears. Jamana spoke with UBS Chairman Axel Weber at the IMF spring meeting in Washington and asked him whether China was on course for a hard landing. So many hard landing discussions around China that, uh, you know, even uh, when I started in 2004 and Governor George Wanjo was asked hard or soft landing, he said no landing, and he was absolutely right. So I do see that the fiscal and monetary stimulus in China is going to work out. China is recovering. The trade dispute with China is looks like it will be resolved, at least on the trade side soon. Mm. So some of the dark clouds over the Chinese economy are disappearing. For us at UBS, because we have, as you said, a strong Asia and a strong China uh, presence, 
Whilst the diversification didn't help but when the economy came down over the end of last year, the recovery that is V-shaped and differentiated, emerging markets are already rebounding, we're benefiting from that. Equity markets have improved massively, we're benefiting from that as an equity-focused investment bank. So what we're seeing is that whilst diversification across businesses and regions didn't help us to protect on the downside, we are benefiting at a different speed from the recovery that is there. And I'm not concerned about Asia-Pacific, that is recovering. Shimano also asked Weber whether he was optimistic about global growth prospects. I actually teed the year off in Davos usually, uh, and everyone was really very negative about the year. I was among the more optimistic one, and I think what we saw last year was a synchronized downturn globally in almost every constituency, and growth rates have roughly halved. So with that global downturn, business diversification doesn't help you because business goes down everywhere. And even across businesses, it was touching equity markets, it was touching IPOs that were pulled, it was touching investor sentiment. Many of our clients sat on cash. So it was a synchronized downturn across asset classes. We're coming out of this. We're coming out of it at a dissynchronized way. Emerging markets are already in a V-shaped recovery and we're seeing that part of the world improve. I think the U.S. will come back in the second half of the year also with a type of V-shaped recovery. The problem area that remains is Europe. That's more in an L-shaped recovery, which is stabilizing at a lower level, but it doesn't really show a strong rebound yet. So if anything, we're a bit skeptical about the ability of Europe to use stimulus to come out of this. And that's what probably means that they'll be in some trouble for longer. But in general, I think we're starting to see the soft spot which covered the end of last year and maybe the first quarter this year to already ease into the second quarter and uh, probably the second half of the year. It's going to look somewhat brighter. And indeed, it's something that the IMF said as well. Their forecasts actually for global growth are higher for next year. Uh, you brought up Europe, not me, so I'm going to go there. Right. Um, you talk about L-shaped recovery. Mm -hmm. So that R words, recovery, are you not thinking at some point that it's going to falter out? Because there are many people out there that are actually worried about the recovery not being sustained, and actually the next leg is a recession. Right. I think there, there is some risk, some downside risk in Europe, and you have to acknowledge that. So whilst I do have the main outlook to be a sort of L-shaped recovery, stabilization at a lower level, growth below potential, I don't have the main scenario of a recession. Uh, that's not our main scenario. It, it's part of the risk assessment. If you look at the Europe-specific risk, there is fiscal policy in many countries, including Italy and France, that is at the 3%, even in the good times. Mm. So if, close to, close to. Close to 3%. Mm, yeah. But if the economy needs stimulus, it's very hard to add 1% or 2% of GDP as fiscal stimulus if you're already at the Maastricht criteria. The only country that has fiscal space to maneuver is Germany. It has a surplus of 1.5%. So even without violating the Maastricht criteria, they could add 4.5% of fiscal stimulus easily to support the German economy. Same is true for monetary policy. You know, it's maxed out. There you go, Axel Weber. European ambassadors have reportedly given the green light for trade talks to begin with the U.S., according to multiple reports. The initial clearance of talks comes amid criticism from President Trump over the EU's trade practices. European ministers will formally approve the decision at a meeting in Brussels on Monday, despite initial resistance from France. Well, the French finance minister Bruno Le Maire says a trade war between Europe and the U.S. would be a mistake. Speaking to CNBC in Washington, Le Maire said he will seek a compromise with U.S. trade officials.
we should do our utmost efforts to avoid a trade war between uh, the US and uh, Europe on uh, this question of uh, sanctions and uh, the uh, case of Boeing and uh, Airbus. A tit-for-tat sanctions would lead nowhere and would weaken the growth both in the US and uh, within the EU. So I will propose to my American friends, especially to uh, Bob Lighthizer, I will have a meeting with Bob Lighthizer tomorrow morning, to enter into a negotiation and to do all the uh, necessary efforts to find a consensus and a compromise between the US and the EU. We have to avoid a trade war. We are facing, as you just said, a slowdown both at the global level and at the European level. And the reason why there is such an economic slowdown is that there are trade tensions all over the world. There are trade tensions between the US and China. We should not add new trade tensions between the US and the EU. It will be a political mistake and an economic mistake too. Uh, Bruno Le Maire then, the um, uh, French minister, talking about um, how we can appease or prevent uh, this trade row kicking off between Europe and the United States. Of course, we haven't resolved the Chinese trade row yet, but we are going to get a very interesting insight, I think, on the strength of the Chinese economy, imports and exports today. And I'm, I'm pretty sure the market's very closely watching this number because they are concerned about the slowing pace of growth in the world's second largest economy. Right, and who's holding uh, the trump card, so to speak, right now, whether China really needs a uh, deal with the United States, how desperately it requires that resolution. And I think when you consider all the global growth fears the, the week that we've had, investors have just taken a moment to pause on the sidelines. It's been a very strong run for many of those trade-focused sectors, industrials, oil and gas, I'll throw chemicals into the mix as well, or Typically, if you had, you know, any, a sector that didn't have all those other issues lurking, maybe you would have seen a better rebound there as well. But at this point, the investors are saying, well, we don't have that resolution between the US and China. Maybe there's a fresh one brewing with, with Europe. And we've got all these global growth fears now. So why would we be buying more stocks? But trade is incredibly important. If we want more momentum in these stock markets, we do need to see a, a move forward positively on trade. And if we talk about, you know, what we learned this week, that enforcement maybe has been sorted with the Chinese on any trade resolution. What does that enforcement look like? And what could that mean for in a European context? If there are issues with the way Europe does business, how will that enforcement sort of raise the risk of doing business on this side of the world? So I think at this point, you can see why investors are just taking stock and sitting back saying, let's wait this one out. And yet the problem is there's enough to keep the bulls excited. Um, look at the sectors that have outperformed the um, underlying S&P, consumer discretionary and information technology, two sectors that has been pointed out by numerous strategists you would expect to perform well at the beginning of a cycle rather than at the end of a cycle. Richard Clarida from the Fed weighed in yesterday he said he felt that economic growth was in a good place. And when you looked at the unemployment claims number yesterday, what problem? Mm. 49 and a half year low on US unemployment claims. What Surely peak, that it? tempers 
the concerns of those who think that we have an immediate and imminent slowdown and that you should stand clear of the markets because of that. I disagree with the description of bulls because I don't know if there are that many bulls out there. I feel like people are being dragged into the market because they're looking at uh, some of the, the risk-free alternatives and saying, well, we're not really getting any return, so let's just go into the market where we think that we can pick up a little bit of value. That doesn't sound like a bullish argument to me, which means what comes next? Is there going to be more upside or is it more likely we're going to tread sideways or downward? And I think for me that's the issue. I can't see enough bulls out there in the, the market at this point. And yet, even as we talk about the reasons to be fearful, um, oil is higher. Oil is a proxy on global trade and economic activity, oh, and it's higher. Iron ore prices are higher. That rescued the Australian stock market from the funk that gripped the rest of the Asian markets. These commodity prices are moving higher in anticipation of sustained growth at these levels. Or speculation. Or maybe even an improvement. Yeah, you could say, well, even if there's speculation, there's speculation to the long side, which tells you there are people out there who believe in tomorrow. I disagree. I think there's a lot of bad news in, in the oil space, for instance. I mean, U.S. sanctions, a couple of countries, disruptions, OPEC cutting, every little bit of bad geopolitical news is basically thrown at the oil sector at this point. So why wouldn't the price be up? When it comes to the mining sector, you've had a major disaster at the start of this year in Brazil, a huge exporter of iron ore. Of course, the, some of the prices in the mining sector have been flattered by that supply disruption. So I don't know if this is a, a big grand tick, green tick for positive growth coming forward in 2019 and 2020. It quacks like a duck. It walks like a duck. Why isn't it a duck? It's the a, prices it's a chicken are higher. All dressed up. The numbers on the employment side look better in the United States. A member of the Fed team is telling us that we're in a good place as far as the economy is concerned. You're just too negative. Well, you can go out there and buy stocks. I'm going to sit here and just count mine and make sure I can get it back. Of course, Karen. Return of capital, of course. Of course, on another day, we'd be arguing this from the other perspective, <laughs> wouldn't we? But it, the, And that's the problem here for investors, I think. And that's part of the reason why people are shuffling to the sidelines cautiously, because they are troubled by the confusion of information that we're getting. There's yeah. an awful lot of noise and not a lot of signal. Or I have to eventually join your thinking, but I'm reluctantly doing so, hence the unloved rally. I'm yeah. dragged over towards your position. Well, you know what? We're going to get some more evidence on the signal. That will be in the Chinese trade data, and it will be in some of the U.S. earnings that are going to start to come through at some point. Anyway, coming up on the program, Fed Vice Chair Richard Clarida sounds a positive note on the U.S. economy, telling CNBC there is no need to move rates in either direction. More from that exclusive interview when we come back. And if you just can't get enough of Squawkbox, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, iTunes, Spotify or Google Play to have a listen and download today's episode. Meantime, for our podcast listeners, stick around for some more. It was a patchy old day on the street, uh, off the worst levels of the day by the time we closed up shop. But uh, this was the best of it. Uh, the Nasdaq down two-tenths of a percent, uh, slightly in the red for the Dow, and only uh, really on the flat line, slightly inclined higher for the S&P 500. But uh, what were investors trading off? Well, mixed data. We, again, had another push lower on the uh, claims for benefits. U.S. 
Unemployment benefit claims dropping to 49 and a half year low last week. So investors getting some strong jobs news, but then uh, at the same time questioning all the different commentary around growth fears from the IMF, uh, concerns that central banks have turned very dovish now. What signal does that suggest for the level of growth out there if central banks are having to respond in kind? But uh, we had some comments from the vice chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve, Richard Claren, saying the U.S. economy is in a good place. But investors just not knowing what to do with this session. And effectively, you saw some gains in industrials and financials, all this ahead of bank reporting season, which kicks off today. Healthcare, though, uh, lagging the market down 1.2%. So that's the mixed picture that you're really seeing uh, flashing up uh, for the boards. But what does it mean over the course of the week? Well, the Dow and S&P now on track for their first weekly decline in three weeks. So we seem to have run out of steam, but uh, the Nasdaq still at this point clinging to its third straight weekly gain. Technology has been one of the areas where investors have still been willing to chase some gains. The Asian market says we uh, count down to trade data coming out of China, just looking a little bit soggy for Hong Kong and China, both trading down uh, roughly about a quarter of 1%. Gains for Australia and the Japanese market, similar tune, both up, but just over seven-tenths of a percent. So confident trade going into the weekend. The opening calls after what has been a fairly big week here in Europe around Brexit and further delays, the ECB in the backdrop as well, becoming ultra-dovish yet again. We've got uh, the FTSE chasing 14 to the upside. Slight weakening signal for the DAX, just three down, flat for the French market. The Italian market showing uh, the most appetite to the upside, about 32 points at this stage. So mostly higher is uh, the course of trade and how we're expecting to play out this morning. Jeff. Fed Vice Chairman Richard Clarida says he sees no need for a rate move in either direction. Speaking to CNBC, Clarida backed the central bank's patient policy stance and said the economy is doing well. This expansion is now in July. This will be uh, a 10-year-plus expansion, the longest in U.S. history. And so perhaps people are conditioned to thinking that as these things go on, there's more of that risk. But, you know, Sarah, we, we don't see it. We don't see an elevated uh, recession risk. There are a lot of different indicators. You know, they move up and down. But as I said, the economy's in a good place. Uh, the economy's in a good place. There you go. Richard Clarida. Do we believe it's in a good place or we just had a big debate about it? So did, did I point out to you the unemployment statistics here? 49 and a half year low for unemployment claims. Yes. Doesn't that encourage you to think that actually things are doing okay? I mean, maybe it's not knock the ball out of the park 5% growth of the kind that Donald Trump would like to see. But three, three and a half percent, ticking along relatively nicely, and more people are employed than not. That's not a bad situation. Growth? If that's the case, we keep going lower and lower and lower on the unemployment rate. There's more people are being supposedly dragged into the workforce. Where's that inflation? And we're simply not seeing it come into the system. So something is amiss here. There's a breakdown in everything that we've usually seen in the past if you're not getting that inflation push on wages. So I think that's why you've seen that nerve uh, still take place in the backdrop of the central bank, even for an economy that has been one of the stronger ones, like in the United States. The question I still have for investors, which market do you want to play? And we saw last year it was a real trade-off where most people just stampeded back into that U.S. market for safety. Since then, we've seen appetite for emerging markets. European markets have picked up as well. Is that going to be the way the rest of 2019 plays out or is it going to be back to the US is going to be much, much stronger? Therefore, on the back of this earnings season, will we see a pivot back towards focused on US investments away from Europe at the expense of Europe and perhaps even at the expense of emerging markets? Yeah, but I think, I mean, you can, I know everybody's grappling with this conundrum around inflation, but you can pretty much find arguments for why it is 
the way it is and believe in continued growth. Um, employees post the financial crisis with limited wage growth and uh, technological innovation threatening their jobs have become meek in their demands for higher salaries. Uh, the uh, flood of capital into markets that central banks have overseen have allowed zombie businesses to continue to walk the earth. There is then this issue of excess capacity and excess availability of labour that continues to suppress wage inflation. And <clears throat> the demand picture is relatively weak in developed world markets because we are in a, um, a, a baby boomer uh, save rather than spend phase of lifestyle uh, demographically. So, I mean, there's just three good reasons why we're not seeing extreme inflationary pressure in economies. You said at the suppress moment. wage inflation. Why would you use the word depress? Because this sort of puts lines across to politics where people are not getting paid enough if there's no wage increase, but you're still seeing the top of the C suite and companies do particularly well. People want more money back. And where's that money coming from? It's coming in the form of handouts fiscal handouts. So we're now looking at a phase where countries across the world with huge debt loads are having to give more back to populations because of the discontent. I mean, none of this is positive for economies. Uh, well, I can't disagree with that point. I mean, I think that um, the clear evidence is that the uh, corporations have benefited from the, uh, the fact that wages have been static for the last 10 years. So that's why you've got increased profitability at the corporate level and companies that have been willing to use buybacks as a way of improving earnings per share numbers rather than distributing their largesse back to their employees in, in the form of higher wages or benefits at this stage. Um, but if no one's making them do that through taxation, then companies have been uh, allowed to do what they're designed to do, which is uh, benefit their shareholders. And that's, that's been the course of the last 10 years. Paint that picture that, that you quite like, where you've got that swan uh, seemingly swimming beautifully across the pond, and it's yeah. just pedaling very, very quickly underwater. So the question is, which country has the, the most stamina that can keep the game up and look like it's a smooth sailing or smooth yeah, swimming? Yeah, no, I think you make a great point because in every financial crisis, there is a catalyst that the market misperceives or doesn't spot until it's too late. And the question I think we're all asking ourselves is, what is the catalyst of that crisis? Is it a corporate meltdown or is it a country meltdown? Could it be China? Could it be weaker growth? Or do we need to focus on these uh, corporations in America that have borrowed heavily and now are just above uh, credit grade in terms of their ratings? So uh, looking for the sighting of that black swan out there. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.